Welcome to the Nutrition on a Mission podcast. I'm Dr. James Gieselman, and my co-host is Coach Drew Sands. And together, we bring some of the leading nutritional and healthcare providers, world-class athletes, and exercise and fitness influencers from across the country who incorporate nutrition in either their practices or day-to-day lives. Our guests share with you their stories of what led them to their passion for nutrition and how you can incorporate this into your life. Drew, how are you doing? I'm doing great, James. You know, I can't really complain about um, anything other than, you know, the weather outside. We're getting, you know, hit pretty hard with rain right now, which, you know, kind of puts a damper on my golf game for the summer. But it, yeah, that, it does. I mean, it's been really hot lately, though. So, I mean, it's been some good, some, you know, good weather. But the last time I was out, the, the course was so dry my club was just bouncing right off the uh, the top there. Oh, I agree. So, anything uh, anything new in in your life? Anything new you want the listeners to know? Well, I know that this episode will wear will air well after the fact, but I did get married this month. Um, Congrats! Thank you. And you know, I've kind of spent a week on a honeymoon, and then the last couple weeks, I've you know spent packing up, um, moving out of my current house and moving into a new one so yeah i know now wife will be starting law school in the fall so that's great you know that's a lot of uh changes really quick you know i took some time off as well um obviously at the wedding and then took a took a trip um overseas to paris for a little while um, but you know now that i'm back i'm finally jumping back into the swing of things trying to get back into the routine um you know already starting to think about some of my classes for the fall thinking about how we're going to um, you know, how I'm going to create those, but, you know, jumping back into some of the, the research, cause I'm still going through some license renewals. Um, you know, it seems like the topic of the week right now is, uh, a lot of herbal and natural remedies I'm, I'm coming across, uh, which are yeah, really, I, really fascinating. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think that it's amazing that there are, you know, so many natural remedies out there and these natural remedies aren't just for, you know, the common acute disease, but they're also for, you know, the chronic, more complex, long-term diseases and conditions. Um, I, you know, think it's really hard to get, you know, the general person to, you know, buy into a lot of these remedies just because some of them seem so far-fetched and so out there. But, you know, like you said, they're actually backed by research. Like they, they have studies on them. Yeah. I mean, you know, this is how like our grandparents grew up, you know, the, back before, you know, all the medications were here. Like this is how our grandparents were, um, were living, you know, one of the classic, um, sunburn remedies that I use. And I think I've talked to you about it before. I, I, I often share it, you know, anytime I get a sunburn, I always use vinegar. You soak like, you know, some washcloths and towels in vinegar and that takes the sting out, which is really great. If you can get past the smelling like a, you know, pickle for yeah. an evening, which oh, some people don't want to do. Um, but you know, that is, you know, one of the reasons why I'm so excited about having, uh, today's guest, you know, we met Dr. Lafferty, um, at a conference we were at in 2021 and just the things that she was saying were fascinating to me. Um, so Drew, can you, uh, introduce Dr. Lafferty to our, to our listeners? I sure will. Dr. Lynn Lafferty is a diplomate of the American Clinical Board of Nutrition, is a doctor of pharmacy and licensed pharmacist, naturopath, herbalist, nutritionist, and chef who is committed to finding the safest and most effective means to promote health and wellness over disease and illness. She is an assistant professor in the integrative medicine department at Nova Southeastern University, College of Osteopathic Medicine, and faculty in the Master of Science Nutrition program. She is director of the functional clinical nutrition and herbal therapy practice in the Nova Southeastern University Clinical Pharmacy. To learn more about Dr. Lafferty, visit her website, www.drlynlafferty.com. Dr. Lafferty, thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much for inviting me on the show. Absolutely. Well, you know, we've met before. We, we got to watch you at uh, the 2021 Symposium down in Florida. What you were speaking on there was just absolutely I mean, I was amazed. I remember talking to Drew about it because at the time, you know, this was right smack dab in the middle of the pa- uh, of the pandemic. Um, 
there was not a lot known, right? I think they just come out with a few preventative measures, we'll call them. Um, but you were treating everyone naturally, which I just found amazing. And I definitely want to talk about that a little bit later. But let's just jump into, can you tell our listeners how you, um, what led you to become a pharmacist and specifically what led you to all the natural healing? Yeah. Well, starting off with my grandmother, uh, my grandmother had a, we, what, we didn't call it organic because back in 1945, it was, you know, um, she had it for over 100, over 100 years, it was in the family, still is. Um, and um, she actually um, grew things like a certain way. Um, and where we were, um, I found out later part uh, Native American, um, and she would never admit to that because you, you couldn't own land back then if you were Native American. And my grandfather died right before I was born. So she was amazing. She took care of <clears throat> the farm. She had no electricity. My father was an electrical engineer for Motorola. And I remember when I was about eight years old, him saying, uh, oh, I've got a team of people. We're going to put electricity in your house. And she said, absolutely not. It disturbs the electrical current in my body. And, you know, <clears throat> I was on for many years the board of the um, the um, Academy of Environmental Medicine. And a lot of people are of our patients are very uh, disturbed and get very sick to, to the degree of having to actually move to West Virginia where there's no EMF waves. So I often think about that. The other thing that was really funny with my grandmother too is um, when we would go to visit her, she would say, okay, let's go for a walk in the woods. Uh, she, I was up in a hill. She had probably, you know, um, she probably had a hundred acres of woods, I guess. And so um, anyway, um, you know, we, we see the studies on Shinroku, which is forest bathing, and it shows that there's all, that it has all these calming effects, uh, not only from walking and being in nature, but also from the terpenes and things coming off the plant. We had also, my mother must have given her a bottle of aspirin because I remember when we would ask, oh, we have a headache, can we have an aspirin? She'd go, I'm not even touching that stuff. You do it yourself. So she never took a drug until she was 80. And in 1980, both of us, we were in a car accident in the snow because her farm was up in upstate New York near the Finger Lakes area. <clears throat> and uh, she... Um, um, they said that she wouldn't live because, you know, they didn't have uh, all the blood thinners back then and they didn't have the uh, hip replacements or anything like that. But when she came out of the surgery, um, they said she had bones like a 50 year old and that uh, she lived on her farm. Now, she had no electricity or running water. Um, and she lived that way for 13 years with a walker. I don't, I don't think she must have used the walker, but, and she still had her garden. She finally got a phone. She, she agreed to get a phone <coughs> for my dad to have a peace of mind. But yeah, she was an amazing person. And with the COVID, I remember her talking about that she had taken care of people during this disease that killed a lot of people. And she was talking about the Spanish flu. So very interesting because my grandfather and the other side, who's, they came from Italy, um, their, her, his mother was only like 40 miles away from my grandmother and she died from the Spanish flu while my grandmother took care of 20 people never got sick herself and they all lived and she she was near her elderberry and she talked about her elderberry so she um said none of our family got it and uh, so the first thing i did i went to the medical literature and i found that there was a study that was done in 2016 on elderberry with covid sars with coronavirus sars which is i think has a higher death rate actually than covid 19 did they extracted the elderberry um, and alcohol, and no one died. And in five days, um, everyone was pretty much better, and no one went to the hospital even from a nursing home. So uh, early on, I did that. And then the other thing I did is 
I had read a study a long time ago, knew a lot of the things about vitamin D, but I read, I read a study, very interesting, that they did in Canada where they took two groups of people, I think from different hospitals, and one group of employees got the flu shot, the others got vitamin D, and the ones with vitamin D actually had less uh, less flu than the flu shot people. And so I went and I looked in all the studies. I mean, there was probably 25, 50 studies talking about vitamin D and the immune system and that anybody that's ever died of any infection, whether it's fungal, bacterial, or viral, they all are vitamin D deficient. So I knew that that was important. And then also looking at all the studies uh, about zinc, because uh, that's something in the pharmacy uh, over the counter that we we offer a lot, which I always liked um, the lozenges. I won't name the brand, but the lozenges always stop. I always saw it stopping colds and um, everything, the zinc. So I looked at all the studies of how it's like uh, zinc puts a Teflon coating so it, the, the virus can't dive in. And then all the different ways it blocks it. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, that is, you know, that's super interesting. Could you, you know, talk a little bit about, you know, the type of um, patient or client that you're seeing on a daily basis? You know, uh, where- and let me just step back one second and tell you what I do and where I'm at. I'm at, uh, I don't know if you've, you've introduced me already, but I'm at Nova Southeastern University. I'm a endowed professor. I taught and put together an integrative medicine department in the, um, osteopathic medical school for seven years and now I'm in the pharmacy school and one of the things I have here I want to just show you guys yeah well I have all my books from back in the day so this is called the physician desk reference and this is from 1978 if you can see it and um, I have in here also a lot of bookmarks. So one of the things is, you know, um, I was brought here by the chancellor who's 87, was 87 at the time. He's like 90, I guess, now or more. But anyway, he brought me in to try to teach the doctors about these older things. These were medications, even a, a, a company that we, a lot of chiropractors use from 1929 that are animal tissue products. They even had two products in the PDR that we used. And so most of the, probably at least half of the prescription drugs in 1978 were natural, like the hydroxychloroquine, that comes from a tree bark, you know, or um, digitalis, you know, that's basically almost a homeopathic um, remedy because you couldn't make that in a lab. There's so little of that in there. Um, so anyway, um, that's one of the things I'm really, I've been talking about is the lack of real education here at the medical school. And then I put together, uh, five courses in the master's in nutrition in the medical school in functional nutrition, which that brings in your biochemistry, your physiology. And again, I have those books. I could turn around and show them to you, but our pharmacology book. (laughs) <laughs> they took us a year. That book is 16, almost 1600 pages, very tiny writing. And both the doctors and the pharmacists took that for a year. Now, back then, uh, using prescription drugs wasn't like in the top 100 causes of death. Okay. Now it's number three. <laughs> And, and that's in the medical literature, right? And so in the wisdom, you'd think, well, maybe we need to teach the doctors and pharmacists more pharmacology. No, they take, doctors take six weeks. And I don't know that, I don't know how much pharmacology pharmacy students get because what they've done is they've taken the body and split it into pieces. And basically t- during that piece, like when you learn about the heart, you learn about all the heart drugs, but you know what they'll never learn. And I have to, I'm very good at what I do. And I have to, to thank my physiology professor, because when I walked in pharmacy school, and there weren't many pharmacy schools back then, 
Um, they said uh, one of you, one of three will flunk out. A third of you will be flunked out of this call. Uh, well, we have 3.7 averages in physics and calculus, you know, but my physiology professor flunked a third of the class. And she would ask you a question like if you had Addison's, which is low adrenal output, low cortisol, what happens to the QRS wave in the heart? So most, and it's, we have a researcher here that I teach in his class, nutrition, and I was talking about his research and he's, he was like, yeah, I'm studying how the adrenals affect the heart. And I go, most heart disease has nothing to do with the heart. It's all about your adrenal gland. And he said, how do you know that? I go, well, I learned that in 1978 <laughs> back in school. So um, all these things that, the, that have been lost, um, and I don't even know what happened to all these companies. There was, you know, made, uh, Rutan uh, was studied by Harvard, prevented a heart attack, uh, a, a second heart attack. If, if it was given in the OR, it would help your heart. Um, that was taken off. Lilly Pharmaceutical made all these vitamins that started with liver tissue. Um, they don't even mention that on their website that I could find. Um, and all these different animal products, uh, desiccated adrenal was a prescription. Desiccated, of course, thyroid, that's still available. Um, but doctors don't know anything about it. Um, and the bile salts were used to decrease cholesterol. And also they were used, um, you know, to... Um, um, if you lost your gallbladder, that was a standard of care. Every single person that lost their gallbladder got um, uh, got bile salts. And, you know, in my naturopathic course, I had learned <clears throat> that there's a type of taurine that is conjugated through bile. And um, so when you lose your gallbladder, you have low bile output into the GI tract. And um, so I asked a group, we have a group here that they asked me to speak at at the university every year wanting to know anything alternative with Parkinson. And I said, you know, I can't ask you this directly because of, of, um, <clears throat> of HIPAA, but I often wonder how many of you might have lost your gallbladder. And, you know, I had five or six men come up and say, you know what, I lost my gallbladder six months before I got any Parkinson's symptoms. Well, I go back to the literature and there's now a study that shows, yes, if you've lost your gallbladder, you're more likely <clears throat> to get Parkinson's. So then I thought, well, let me, I was started writing an article about how important the gallbladder is. And I got so upset, I couldn't finish it because it talked about in the 80s, giving bile salts with people that may have a congested uh, uh, gallbladder, how it could stop cholestectomies from you losing the gallbladder. So um, that's basically, you know, what I what I do here. And I do have a practice. I have a practice in um, integrative pharmacy, we call it, or in functional nutrition. But I get, you asked about my patients. I get some very weird cases that nobody else, I get a lot of people, they've been to Harvard, they've been to Johns Hopkins, um, they've been to lots of places and they come here and I really call myself a body detective because I tell patients like that, look, I, this is your first visit. I have a whole team of people because I asked the medical and pharmacy students that work with me, to, I said to come in. I always say they're in there because uh, to learn, but they'll be on this case and they'll be going through all the literature trying to figure out if there's a way around your disease. <laughs> I talked a lot, sorry. No, that's great. Why do you think that is though? Like the, you know, the physician desk reference. We've, we had this stuff, we had a lot of natural ways and, and a lot of things mentioned. Where do you think we went wrong along the way? Like I, I heard, and it might've been you talking on a podcast about, um, you know, you were talking about more um, pharmacology for med students, but then you were also saying, I think in the podcast that uh, there's a med school that's actually taking anatomy and physiology away from the yeah. curriculum. Yeah, they took anatomy. My my friend, and I've worked with her for several years, she used to be the head of, uh, of uh, 
executive medicine at University of Miami. And um, she's in the book, 100 Best Doctors in America, even. She's a fabulous internal medicine doctor. And she was so upset because she's like, I'm sending my child and spending all this money to medical school there. And um, they've taken anatomy out. They're having second year medical students show the students how to do vital signs. Um, it's it's ridiculous. And um, another medical student, because my brother almost died three times in a hospital. If I hadn't been there, he would have died. And uh, um uh, the one of the medical students, he's actually a transcriber in the ER for his he works. And he said, you know, Dr. Lafferty, the doctors can't even do what they want. The hospitals now are putting rules about what is given and what isn't. And um, my with my brother, I got in a big argument. He was a very nice young man, actually. But young is the key word here, who went all Ivy League cardiology. I mean, Yale, Harvard, and uh, Columbia did his training. And, um, you know, I told him, I thought my brother was magnesium deficient. And he said, well, that has nothing. And my brother had bradycardia. His heartbeat was about 42. And he goes, well, that's got nothing to do with it. I'm like, okay, you call yourself an electrophysiology cardiologist, and you've never learned potassium and, and sodium, magnesium, and calcium going through those channels causes the electricity for the heart to be. No one's taught you that. He's like, yeah, but it still has nothing to do with it. And he wouldn't do it. And then, so my brother's heart went so low, he went to the ICU and they did the magnesium and his magnesium was so low that when they gave him a bag of mag sulfate, uh, within 10 minutes, his heart rate and blood pressure went to normal. So I had to, after working a long day, go home, make a shake with calcium and give it to my brother and hopefully he would drink it. And um, then I found the cardiologist said, well, now that we know he's magnesium deficient, would you prescribe it? He goes, oh no, you only give it when the QR wave is shortened. I said, who's teaching this to you? I, I don't get this. And you know, one of my good friends here, he's my age, who's a cardiologist. I said, do you ever give magnesium? He goes, I give it all the time for arrhythmias, especially in pregnant women. And um, he, I said, well, have you ever heard you only give it when the QR wave is short? And he goes, I've never heard that. So this is, it's very scary uh, what's going on. And I've, I've been talking about this to a lot of people. Anybody that'll listen, okay. I, right. I talk. So why do you think, you know, why do you think that's the case? You know, why, why do you think that, um, you know, med school is, is going in that direction? And pharmacy school too. Um, I think, you know, uh, it's all about money and learning about pharmaceuticals. We learned a lot of natural things in pharmacy school when I went to school, you know, um, so I think, um, you know, we, we learned about, you know, packing a vagina with, with, uh, plain yogurt if you had a yeast infection. And we, we used to give olive oil was, we had that in the pharmacy, you know, and, uh, ears, nose and throat doctors would prescribe that. Um, and, you know, one time I was, uh, way up in Lake Tahoe and, and, and this little boy was at this 4th of July party and, um, he was crying for earaches. So I just took some olive oil and they had some fresh oregano and some garlic. And I, I warmed it up for about 15 minutes and let it soak there and then made sure it was, you know, body temperature. You want to put, when you put something in your ear, you want to make sure it's body temperature, not cold. Uh, but I didn't want it to be hot, of course. And within three minutes, he stopped crying. <laughs> he didn't cry the whole rest of the party. So... Um, and I, I do that on my website, uh, drlynlafferty.com, and I have a course because I it's for really for the lay public, but I've had a lot of pharmacists and, and doctors actually take the course. It's it's $99. It's, it's 10 sessions, but there's a lot of things also you get with that course. I take you through my kitchen for 20 minutes, how to use different appliances and give a recipe at each appliance. I give you a book on vitamins and everything each vitamin does and refrigerator lists, like what foods have certain vitamins. I also have a book there, how you can make your own herbal recipes. You know, we, we, I had to have it 
the uh, elderberry made here, but you could take, um, you know, an organic vodka, let's say, and put half of a jar in glass with uh, organic elderberries, and it would cost you about a tenth of what it costs us. Um, and you could make your own, put it in a, a cool place for about three weeks, and and then you've got yourself some um, organic elderberry. Uh, um, and alcohol is the best extractor of, of herbs. Man, that is, that's fascinating stuff. Like, you know, I'm sitting here thinking about everything that I have around the house and, you know, I, I kind of want to hear what some of your must haves are. So like for me, for example, I mean, I take zinc and vitamin D every day, but I also have oil of oregano on wow. the shelf. I mean, you, you just talked about the oregano, like I have oil of oregano, which if you've never had it and you're listening, like it's very potent, it'll, <laughs> I mean, it, it hits. Um, but you know, like anytime I have a sore throat, like I'll go garlic, ginger and, and honey, and I just make my own little tea out of it. But like, what are some must haves? Like if, if you're a listener, like the top right. five things. Okay. Perfect. And I have that, I have a book coming out soon. I'm finishing it over vacation, which I'm leaving for in two hours. So I can't wait. Um, but uh, one of the things for sure, have organic lavender oil. Uh, get a good high-grade lavender oil. That takes a burn out almost immediately. Uh, I think basil oil too, but having a basil plant. So when I, I have an acre of land and um, with trees and stuff like my grandmother had, and I don't know how she did it. I'm much younger than she was. I'm like, how did she do all this work? It's exhausting. Um, but anyway, um, uh, so, um, what was I going to say? Um, I got, okay. So I, I moved kind of out in the country and I think it, it may have been, um, a brown recluse or a, uh, or a, a wolf spider bite. Um, it was when I put some pants on, I got a spider bite and it, got very infected and I treated it myself naturally and it did okay but it took me a long time and um, I do a seminar well I'll, yeah a seminar here our our we have 5,000 employees at our university and our our public safety does a every year before COVID they had a um uh, thing for employees about safety and you know the fire department would come and all all these other people would be there and um, I always talked about things you can use from your home so um, and what I learned and, and it was in the literature actually was that uh, a basil would take away a spider bite so I got a spider bite when I got out on my pool one morning and it felt just like that other one and it started to swell like that and I took oregano I mean see saying oregano basil and I just took the leaf out of my garden and I rubbed it and this brown fluid came out and I never it never did anything it just healed itself and didn't get any bigger or anything like that so um you know basil lavender all these things also have high and oregano oil high antimicrobial properties. I think the other thing you have to have is white vinegar. Vinegar is the best thing to clean your, especially your countertops because, you know, soap could leave rev residue, but and it's not as, as antimicrobial as vinegar. Even if you want it higher antimicrobial, put a couple drops of oregano oil because oregano oil and thyme have the same kill rate as bleach. So, and one of the things we were just looking at in the literature that was kind of interesting was, you know, the first place in your body that uses iodine is your thyroid, but the second place in a woman is her breast, and the second place in a man is his prostate. And I uh, had seen with breast cancer, because I get a, a few people with breast cancer here, and I've looked up a lot, that there's a a correlation and it must be through the iodine of getting thyroid cancer and um, getting um, uh, breast cancer. So I said, well, let's look that up and see if it's true. Also for prostate cancer. Yes, that, that is true. We found that, but they said we found another really interesting article talking about that. If you don't have enough iodine, which most people don't, and we don't see goiters today. And I think the only reason we don't, 
is because people go to the doctor and they're called nodules and they take them off before they become goiters, right? And um, so um, anyway, what it talked about was how if you don't have enough iodine uh, that you, um, the, the, it'll pick up other halogens. Those of you that took chemistry, you know, on that periodic chart, there was a group chlorine, bromide, fluoride, all of these things are in that, are in that group. And what happens is those cells will pick up those other halogens and replace it because it doesn't have the iodine you need and, and it can cause cancer. So I think that uh, that's very important. But I think having natural cleaning supplies are so important. We're so bombarded with so much, uh, so much um, garbage from our air to our food, pesticides and other things that putting more by smelling and taking in those chemical uh, cleaners, I just think is, is really horrible. So that's like one of my, my number one things. And then, you know, one of the things, and we learned this in pharmacy school too, uh, was um, if somebody takes a poison, go burn some toast and have them eat that because that is charcoal. The burnt part now is charcoal and charcoal adheres those poisons and will take those poisons up. Um, so um, I don't know if I said five things or not, but. I can't wait to read that book. I mean, I think that is, that's a must have on the shelf. I mean, you know, for me, like you talk about vinegar. So I have told some friends about this. Like I don't tan, I burn. I go from pale white to red lobster in a day. But vinegar for me, and this is like been handed down through the family. It takes the sting out. Like I've yeah. never, I've never found that like, you know, any of the lotions or anything like that did much, but it takes the sting out. Like you still are red, like you still look beet red, but there's no pain. And so if people can get past smelling like a pickle for, you know, and, and one night, it, it it's amazing. Lavender is like that too. And, you know, I, you know, I'm also a naturopathic doctor and I went to one of the older naturopathic schools. And one of the things I learned was, um, that what we do for people that burn easily is have them take two fish oils before they go to uh, to the beach. So try that the next time and see what happens if that helps you any. I definitely will. Your 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 skin is fat, so we kind of look at it as a vitamin D overdose of the sun. So the more fat you can put in the skin, the more protection you have there from the sun. I, uh, I, I kind of want to switch gears a little bit. Um, I know you talked a lot about um, leaky gut in the past. Could you, you know, talk about the gut and how important the gut is to um, healing and how important the gut is to, you know, just being healthy in general? Well, it's, it's everything. I get, I'm getting goosebumps from the question, actually, because one of the reasons I got my job here and got the endowment was a patient who had at two been diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis at age 10, bleeding ulcers from prednisone at age 15, a tumor the size of a grapefruit from Umera and methotrexate. And that's all in their package inserts that it can cause that. And thankfully it wasn't a cancerous tumor. And when I saw her, her wrist and her shoulder had fused at 17. Um, one of the things, if you look at, and this is one of the, first lessons that I do here, I first thing I tell my students, don't remember anything I've taught you until you pass the board, pass your board and then, <laughs> and then go back because uh, you may not pass it. <laughs> but anyway, um, so if you, if you look at Harvard, it'll say, we don't know what causes rheumatoid arthritis if you go to their, their, their website. And then if you go to the medical literature and you put gut bacteria in, in PubMed and rheumatoid arthritis, there's 300 studies that'll pop up. Things like uh, gut bacteria, the etiology of rheumatoid arthritis, rheumatoid arthritis caused by uh, dysbiosis of the gut, which means not enough good bacteria, too many bad bacteria, all of these things. And then that's the American database. If you go to Science Direct, which is a, a, to me a better um, it's the European 
PubMed, if you will, it's out of uh, out of uh, the Netherlands, you'll find over 7,000 studies talking about this. And then the woman that is the head of integrative medicine is an old pathologist. Um, she's in like 70. And she told me, she said, Lynn, when we were in the hospital back when I first got out, we used to do all sorts of cool things. We used to do punch biopsies of the of the rheumatoid arthritis thing. She goes, there's all sorts of bacteria roaming around there. And, you know, if you look at, so basically these bacteria don't belong in the body, like uh, uh, Yersenia anacocca uh, seems to like the thyroid is implicated in thyroiditis. So um, these bacteria get in and the first line of the first line of defense in the and the most strong probably line of defense within the body of the immune system is your stomach acid because that kills those pathogens from coming in when you look at the research too they took people with ulcerative colitis and crohn's and they found out their ph was five and above in the stomach it's supposed to be a two they found out they found people with a two and looked for any dysfunction, you know, in their colon, there was nothing, no polyps, no cancer, no ulcerative colitis, none of these types of things. So the one of the things we looked at, uh, my students one semester, was we went and we looked at what bacteria cause from the gut, what causes lupus, what may cause MS, what may cause um, uh, a rheumatoid arthritis, um, all these sojourns, you know, all these different things. And what we found was that the good bacteria in the gut, like a pH between what your gut's supposed to be, which is the pH of two, and then it goes from between six to 5.5, depending on where you're at in the sm small intestine to the large intestine. When we looked at things like Prevotella, which is uh, implicated, Klebsiella, some of these bacteria are implicated in more than one of the autoimmune diseases. They all like a seven. And that's one thing, too, I want to just mention because I had another patient, and I've, I've had like three or four patients, that they have these fungal infections, and they're eating perfectly, and they're taking good things, you know, and you're saying to yourself, how'd you get a fungal infection? And then I had a, um, a, home, a, a holistic nurse. We have a holistic nurses association. It's located here in Florida where I'm at. And um, the holistic nurse, they, uh, she said, I've had a fungal infection for five years. She was eating good. She was taking oregano oil and grapefruit seed, which are very good for fungal infections. She said, I just don't know what to do. And I said, well, are you drinking basic alkaline water? And she's like, yeah. I go, when did you start doing that? Five years ago. Same thing with this gentleman yesterday on the phone, drinking alkaline water five years ago. So I'm not a proponent of that. There's a study out because one, one of my friends who has loves alkaline water, I said, well, They've looked at it. I, I don't think it was Oxford, but it was one of the top universities in England. And they say, hey, could alkaline water be used as an antacid? And the answer is yes, because it, it does alkalize your stomach. So alkaline water could be good for that, but you need a pH of two to kill off these bad bacteria. So starting with your, people don't really look at pH, but that's so really, really important. The other thing I see, including myself, I for two years, I did not get COVID. I worked with COVID patients all day long. And I gave my all my stuff, like my vitamin D and my zinc and all that stuff away. And uh, in December, I got COVID. And I didn't get it for very long. It only lasted about a day or two. But I ended up with, a, and I never had a stomach issue with a really bad stomach issue and one of my patients was talking about her stomach issue I said you know it sounds like you might have H. pylori and she said you know I used to have it but it tests negative I said well let's try the natural things for anyway then I went home and go you know what I think I got H. pylori I tested positive after COVID for H. pylori 
And, you know, that's the number one cause of stomach cancer and, and also duodenal cancer, too, it causes. So, um, and the natural things work very nicely for that. And there's been research on black cumin seed with the omeprazole because, of the, you know, I wasn't going to take it, but it does work really well to shut down your stomach acid for a short period of time. And uh, the test, when you take the H. pylori test at one of the labs, they give you acid because it thrives on that and it starts growing real fast. So, um, so you know, you do need to cut off that acid while you're doing the treatment. It's, it's very helpful to do that. So for a short period of time. So, so let's talk about COVID a little bit. So I know that you know, it seems like everybody's returned back to normal. It seems like it's a thing of the past. I mean, you know, you, you look around and there's still some, you know, things that are in place that still definitely show us that we just are coming out of a pandemic. But what, you know, you've talked about the preventative and, and, and all that stuff. But when I saw you at your conference, you were talking about actually treating patients with these, you know, zinc and vitamin D and whole protocols in the actual hospital. And at the time, I think this was the end of 2021, your hospital had had no COVID deaths that you had treated. Like, that's a huge accomplishment. Yeah, and it wasn't me treating because I don't work in the hospital, but it was uh, one of the, it was really funny because one of our uh, people that oversee one of the big residency programs like internal medicine, uh, he comes in our pharmacy and I'm friends with him. And uh, he, he came here February of 2020, right at the beginning of COVID. He said, we had a real miracle today. He said, uh, it was unbelievable. We thought this man was going to die of COVID. And we gave chloroquine and z -Pak, And within four hours, he was off the respirator. And within 10 hours, he was back in a room. And the next day, we let him go. And I said, chloroquine, I go, that, that drug is so old. That's from like 1930. And again, that's right from the basically tree bark, you know. And um, so uh, I said, well, let me show you the studies I pulled on the vitamin C, the zinc, and the, and the vitamin D. And he came in here and said, you know, because of you, no one on our service died. Uh, because I go, what are you talking about? Cause I had forgotten. And he said, I did no matter whether they had COVID or not, we gave them those things and no one died. So that was the thing, but yeah, none of my patients died or even went into the hospital. And most of them, if they were my patients at the beginning, I found all these studies. I called them. I did a, a Facebook talking about this. I, we went, I went back to the literature. I found where, uh, zithromycin was antiviral. They knew that since 2003. I sort of knew that even when I was in school, I would always ask for erythromycin. It kills your stomach, but um, I knew most of the time I had a virus and whatever reason it always worked. Um, one of the things I think that with this long haul COVID and things, um, which I have found is a desiccated adrenal on top of the treatments. Uh, my doctor, you know, I guess, I, you know, it's funny when you look at what God does in your life or whatever, and you go back and go, wow, I see why. I mean, I when I was three, I had a doctor that was probably 85 years old. And he, so this would have been like 1964 or five, whatever. And uh, he actually had Sigmund Freud as a professor at University of Vienna. He graduated in wow. 1897 from medical school. But you know what? He gave you adrenal shots so that you still could get the adrenals in a shot. And he gave us licorice tablets. And licorice, you know, the studies showed licorice killed COVID as well. So um, anyway, if I and I when I ran out of the elderberry, I used the licorice tablets because then you get a two for one because it, it it enhances the adrenals too. But I find that with any infection, like I, I'm known here for shingles for helping a lot of the people with shingles, and I, the shingles went away in two or three days. But then the lady came in and said, "Look, I still am really tired. I, I don't I don't see the." 
the uh, manifestations of it. And um, I said, let's try the adrenal. And she called me the next day. She goes, I can't believe how good I feel. So I'm like, yeah. So anybody that has a severe infection, there's a lot of things in the medical literature on the role of the adrenal gland and the cortisol in the role of the immune system. And, and so we don't we don't think the importance of the endocrine system, but the endocrine system plays a huge role in the immune system. And if we look at, um, you know, the people that, well, that used to, let me put it this way, that used to get all the autoimmune diseases, quote unquote, uh, they all mostly were women who, um, who have gone through menopause or going through menopause when it started. And I see that a lot. Now I see a lot of people that are young with these autoimmune diseases, MS and all these things. Um, and basically what I find there is they were on a lot of antibiotics as kids. So that shows you that their good gut bacteria got killed. You know, I used a lot of, I, I, I talked and another naturopathic doctor was there and took me on at a conference uh, at the academy once because I was using oregano oil, I said, what would you use? Because well, I wouldn't use oregano oil. That stuff's so strong, it's going to kill your, your good bacteria. And I thought, you know, I said, did you ever find a study on that? Because I would think that too. You know, I, I, I often had thought about that, but I could never find a study. And then all of a sudden, all these really amazing studies on oregano oil started coming out. And a matter of fact, not only does it not kill the bad bacteria. It actually helps with leaky gut. It it tightens the junctions up. Um, and so um, why we know so much is because, you know, the World Health Organization and a lot of, there was a, right before COVID, because I was doing some research and doing some presentations at the medical school and things on this of antibiotic resistance. Um, and um because they really were promoting to take these antibiotics away from these animals that they were giving. So the, the pork industry started giving oregano oil. So now there's a lot of studies about the effects of the oregano oil from that. You'll find a lot of good studies actually in that veterinarians do on a lot of natural things. So you just talked a little bit about the leaky gut and tightening the junctions. Could you talk a little bit about the gut-brain axis. I mean, it's something we hear about um, sure. you know, with a lot of, you know, the practitioners bring, we bring on. And could you talk a little bit about how that, um, you know, plays a role in mental health as well? Absolutely. So currently I'm working with a, a group called West Care. They're one of the biggest treatments um, and they mostly are for, uh, you know, people that can't afford living in a regular treatment. I mean, they set up really good places. They're, they're a fantastic organization. They got a grant actually from uh, the uh, Department of Justice, and they wrote in the nutrition piece in there. Probably wouldn't get it. I wonder if they could get it if they were going for I thought they had gotten it from a one of the medical departments, but no, it was the Department of Justice. But what they found was also that um, they, they're finding all these people are overdosing like crazy now. And they've got the, this, the, the, the cure to it, naltrexone, and um, I'm sorry, Narcan. And um, so anyway, there, there's like 23-year-olds that have overdosed 20 times. Every time they overdose, they give their brain hypoxia. So we actually met the surgeon with um, the head of the, the county health department um, and said, listen, these people don't really have mental health. You're treating them like that. You're giving them drugs, a lot of them, which are toxic to the brain because, you know, the liver has to detoxify all their chemicals. And um, anyhow, they were kind of excited. They're like, oh, so this isn't really like a mental health. This is a brain injury that's showing up like a mental health issue. But uh, going back to the gut, we make in our gut, and I tell this to drug addicts. I've been in this field for a long time. I used to work with gang kids that were drug dealers. They were That was my favorite job ever. <laughs> but anyway, 
because um, I had a program access the pharmacy within to try to, they all, you were using marijuana. But if you didn't have, you know, the endocannabinoid system, or if you didn't have um, the uh, opioid receptors, or if you didn't have um, even di uh, dimethyltryptamine looks like LSD. And that's what you get from melatonin at about three in the morning. So you, you have your own hallucinogens, your own painkillers, your own, uh, you know, if you looked at the structure of norepinephrine, to uh amphetamine it's it's one it's just one oxygen off so a matter of fact that's why they give amphetamines to children is because um they it actually increases your norepinephrine and that hits the locus ceruleus which is where your attention center is in the brain so if you go back to the nutritional pathway of norepinephrine you'll or any of the things serotonin oxytocin, um, the uh, hallucinogens, you know, uh, uh, serotonin goes into the dimethyltryptamine. And serotonin itself is only one carbon away from, uh, I think, or oxygen, I don't remember, but it's almost identical to uh, psilocybin and mescaline. Um, so then it goes into your melatonin in the pineal gland, and then it goes into the dimethyltryptamine. So basically the gut, first of all, you have to digest, you have to eat protein, which goes back to your stomach acid to be able to absorb it and to digest it properly. It has to be the right pH. Then you have to be able to absorb the, the amino acids. And then those amino acids go into all those feel-good chemicals. So if you ever look at people, and I same thing with the ADHD kids that come in here, uh, what do you have for breakfast? Oh, cereal, no milk. What do you have for lunch? Macaroni. They're out there in the waiting area eating crackers and candy or cookies. Um, and they're, they don't even have protein to make any of those feel-good chemicals. So for me, with drug addiction and mental health, I think so much of it, and at least with, with drug addiction, they've also shown when they give these amino acids that make these the, the building blocks of these, these brain chemicals, then um, they actually have less uh, cravings. And I knew a group in West Palm Beach, they were giving the IV amino acids, but people were, it was some of them were getting triggered by that because they were IV drug abusers. So it was, that was actually triggering craving. So they just went and got a five-star chef and that they found with that eating the right amounts of protein and having the right vitamins. Again, with ADHD, you've got to have your B vitamins. Well, most of your B vitamins are made by your, your GI tract, the, the, the bacteria down there, you know, uh, all your fat soluble vitamins, um, and then we go to the uh, endocannabinoids and your hormones. Those all come from cholesterol. Those are all from a fat structure. So again, you have to have um, the, uh, enough bile to absorb the fat in order to even make those things in your body. So uh, those, the, the GI is everything because it's going to give you your building blocks. So if you don't have your building blocks, uh, you might live on sugar all day long, donuts, but you don't build any good, feel-good chemicals. <laughs> with so one of the recent articles I was I came across the other day in, in research was talking about different diets for mental health. So based on the amino acids, I mean, is that, you know, the, the good fats, the good um, proteins, is, is that what makes you think the Mediterranean and paleo-Mediterranean diet is so important. I mean, it's rich in those nutrients. It's rich in the proteins. It's not the processed, you know, crackers and macaroni and things like that. Like, do you think that physiologically is the reason for it or? Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, I, um, absolutely. The kids aren't, I mean, I was fortunate enough to grow up out in the country. I remember at baseball games, we were in a field of green beans and that was our treat was eating the raw green beans, you know, one of my favorite things. And, uh, they don't, you know, you don't even have those farmlands anymore. They've been taken over and, um, they, you're the, 
they've shown like with the kids when they get if they give them B vitamins or give them fish oils or give them zinc or give them iron uh, because those are all the things you need to go down those pathways to the norepinephrine um, that their symptoms get better. I mean, there's a lot of studies on that. So they're just not getting. And then, you know, when you take an animal vitamin, you're actually getting a higher level of a vitamin because, you know, for instance, you know, one of the things we look at is the methyl methylation pathway. And um, a matter of fact, I've pulled a couple of studies that show that people uh, that uh, folic acid may cause cancer and then taking B12 and and uh, folic acid, I think it said gives you a 22% increased risk of cancer, which makes total sense because about 22% to 25% of the population don't methylate very well. So um, when you look at, there was a study they did in Europe, it was a big study, um, they looked at milk and um, because what we use in the body is tetrahydromethylfolate. So they looked at milk, they looked at pig liver, they looked at mixed vegetables, and they looked at some type of flour. It was either oat or, or wheat flour, I don't remember which. But the flour and the vegetables had no methyl tetrahydrofolate. There was a tiny bit in the milk, but there was a ton in the liver. And there were more, you know, like I said, Lily Pharmaceuticals, um, one of the, I know chiropractors, a brand, Standard Process, uses uh, all their vitamins start, most of them, as animal liver. There was Doan's pills were liver. Um, Geritol, you might remember that old I Love Lucy. She gets drunk on the Geritol. That used to be full of liver. So um, there was a reason for all these things that weren't synthetic because it they work in the body better. Well, I think we're getting pretty close to the end and you know that kind of leads me into um you know one of the final questions that you know i want to ask <clears throat> i always like to put things in the um athletic perspective um you know being a coach and you know dealing a lot with athletes um what are some ways that you know athletes can help um you know keep their <clears throat> mental health in check and what are some ways as like coaches that you know we can help keep athletes um, mental health in check well, I think, again, taking in a lot of, of fat, um, I think that a lot of people love carbohydrates in that field, too, because it does give you that burst of energy, like eating the pasta before you run or something like that. Um, but I think that um, making sure you have a lot of protein and fat in, in the diet. And then, of course, athletes, they burn up so much. The other thing with athletes, they really, they do need a lot of carbs, but the carbs they really need the most are high, high, high antioxidants. So they should be eating a lot of berries, um, a lot of, of herbs, you know, ginkgo or, you know, there's a lot of these herbs you can put in um, those things that are antioxidants because they get a lot of oxidative stress. And we're seeing that, right? There's been a lot of them that have died. Uh, from oxidative stress recently. Um, so, you know, it's, it's really important that they take a lot. And I would, I would put them on supplements of antioxidants, you know, same thing with uh, any disease like uh, diabetes or, or anything like that, that there's a lot of oxidative stress in the body. And again, going back to if you don't have the methylation pathway going right, that goes right into homocysteine, which is a very high inflammation to the body. Uh, your histamine uh, is very high inflammation. Um, yeah, leukotrienes, high inflammation. So all of those types of things, we have to get that down. Um, you know, I actually worked with a quarterback and I gave him my recipe for ginger ale, which you can find on, on YouTube. And um, he said, gosh, I wish we could drink this when we're out there on the field, you know? So anyway, yeah, I said, drink it a lot. Pineapple, the core of a pineapple has a lot of bromelain. That's anti-inflammatory. So all those types of things are really good for athletes. That's great. I always love, Drew, 
getting guests on here that reinforce what we tell either our wrestlers or what we're teaching in class, like unprovoked, like everything that you said there was just spot on. And I absolutely love it. Well, Dr. Lynn, uh, we really appreciate you joining us today. We appreciate your time. Um, I know you said you were going on vacation. I hope you have a fantastic vacation. Um, but you also said that you were going to finish your book. So I really hope that you finish your book. Cause I'm right. really looking Hopefully I'll have it done by the, the next meeting that we have in the coming up in October. If anybody wants to reach me, they can go to my website, which is D-R-L-Y-N-N-L-A-F-F-E-R-T-Y.com. There's a lot of free uh, things on integrative medicine and uh, I've got top doctors on there uh, talking in the immune system. There's a free webinar on that. You can buy the classes. There's also a lot of blogs, there's recipes, my YouTube channel, and uh, you can always reach me at 954-262-4550. That's my office number here at Nova Southeastern University. I also teach at John Patrick University, and they have a master's in integrative medicine. So I I love teaching there. It's really fun. Yeah, our listeners should should definitely take advantage of that, whether, you know, it's just general um, public or if, you know, it's, a, a practitioner that um, yeah you know, and I, I have I also have a website for practitioners but it's not quite um, I did a couple trainings from it but it's not quite where I want it to be but I will come back on another time we can talk about that if you would so looking you. forward to it I love you guys keep doing the great job you're doing thank you thank you yep thank you before we wrap up we want to take a minute to talk about the council on nutrition I've been a member of the council for five years now, and we've actually been published in their peer-reviewed journal, Nutritional Perspectives. The symposium that they put on is one of my favorite things to attend each year, and it's a great asset for getting my continuing education credits, meeting other professionals, and it's great for students and new practitioners like Drew. The Council on Nutrition is available to everybody from practitioners to our listeners and patients. You can find more information about joining and getting access to the annual symposium, publications, events, and more at www.councilonnutrition.com. This episode has also been brought to you in part by Iowa Performance Institute. Are you ready to take control of your health? At Iowa Performance Institute, we believe functional nutrition is the foundation of good health. That's why we offer comprehensive nutritional testing to help you optimize your diet and achieve your wellness goals. Our team of experts will work with you to identify nutrient deficiencies, food sensitivities, environmental toxins, hormonal imbalances, and a variety of other factors that may be impacting your health. With this information, we can create a personalized nutrition plan that meets your unique needs and goals. Invest in your health and schedule your free consultation today at performanceiowa.com. Wow, James, that was some very knowledgeable information from Dr. Lafferty. Oh, it definitely was. I'm really, like, I'm really excited about that book. Like, I want a copy of it. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, I enjoyed, you know, the you know, mental health aspect of, yeah. you know, functional nutrition. And um, hopefully our general listeners and our coaches are, you know, able to take some things from, from the talk. What, you know, what are you kind of taking away? Yeah, you know, for me, um, it was just eye-opening to see how medicine's changing. Um, you know, hearing that anatomy, I mean, I, I know we've talked about it before on the podcast, but hearing that anatomy was taken out of, um, you know, one of the school's curriculums, uh, I didn't realize doctors, even though pharmacology is such a big portion of, you know, what they do, pharmaceuticals, they only get six hours of it in, in the curriculum. You know, that's crazy to me. What was your big takeaway? Yeah, I mean, I'm right along the same lines with, you know, what's being taught currently. Um, my big takeaway was, you know, her discussing the fact that many of these remedies have been lost over time, that, you know, they just disappeared. You know, it, it's no longer taught. It's no longer, um, you know, a, a practice, um, a current practice. And, um, you know, I really leads me to question if, you know, we're teaching doctors how to treat or if, you know, they're being taught how to become a legal drug dealer. Yeah. I mean, that's a tough one. You know, I mean, I, you know, I worked as a paramedic medicine is great, but you're absolutely right. Whenever you can't have the conversation about, you know, 
this person, do they need magnesium? I mean, that's a healthcare provider talking to another healthcare provider. I can only imagine how the layperson would would try and you know talk to a physician and, and try and advocate. Um, so you know, it's just really too bad at the end of the day that this is where we're going. We're going to just treat the symptoms. That's why you know trying to find the root cause. It's what we harp on in the practice. So. Uh, if you want to learn more about any of the products and resources mentioned in today's podcast, make sure you check out uh, the show notes for links. Drew, I hope you have a good week. Yeah. Remember, new podcast episodes will be released weekly and we'll drop on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more every Monday. A special behind-the-scenes clip shared on our social channels throughout the week. We appreciate everyone tuning in today. This has been the Nutrition on a Mission, a podcast of the ACA Council on Nutrition. Make sure you're following us on Instagram at Nutrition on a Mission Pod and follow Drew and I at Iowa Performance Institute for updates on our guests and episode releases. See everyone next week. The views and comments expressed are those of the hosts and guests and do not necessarily reflect those of the ACA Council on Nutrition or the American Chiropractic Association.